Well, good, good morning. Let me ask you real quick. How's everybody doing in the house this morning? Good. I'm going to need you to kind of, you know, rev that up a little bit. Y'all slept in and came to the second service, which is totally fine. But we assume when you come to the 11 o'clock that you've been caffeinating all morning. So kind of kind of loosen up. Tell your neighbor right now, loosen up a little bit. You know, I mentioned earlier in the service that you were going to be really glad that you were here today. We're continuing a family tradition around here that began years ago. Not maybe with the very first Believe Day. But it wasn't too long after the first one where I invited a friend of mine to come preach. I wanted Lake Hills Church, our church family, to get to know David and Lisa Hughes as Julie and I have gotten to know David and Lisa Hughes. David and Lisa together pastor a great church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, of all places. Is that a great? Let me tell you something. Fort Lauderdale is not the buckle of the Bible Belt, baby. And they are making a monster, monster difference in that part of the world. David took over the church as a, as a very young pastor and transitioned it from something that was really kind of okay and a little broken and traditional in places. And today they are reaching thousands upon thousands upon thousands every single week with the uncompromising message of Jesus Christ and how extravagantly, how creatively, how compassionately and compellingly he loves people every single weekend. Now, as an added bonus, David is one of the greatest blessings in my life as a friend, as a pastor, as somebody that I look to and learn from. He's one of the greatest communicators and Bible teachers and expositors in the country. And I listen to a lot. And David is unbelievable. Now, it's true that he's my friend and I'm biased, but that doesn't mean I'm wrong. I can be biased and right. And so it's also important for you to know that we take very, very seriously who stands on this stage, who teaches the Word of God, and what gets spoken into the life of Lake Hills Church. And every single time that God has spoken through David in the years past, we've been better for it as a church. I've been better for it as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor. And so I want you to know how much Julie and I treasure our friendship with David and Lisa and Church by the Glades. And I've, David's a good guy. He's great. He's, David's a good enough guy. I'll go fish with David. But what Lisa has meant to Julie and the friendship that they have has been one of the greatest blessings of my life as a husband to see them have each other, to harass each other, and keep each other in line has been an incredible, incredible blessing. Lisa, we're thrilled to have you as well this week, and thank you for being here. I know to leave your duties as a pastor back home is a huge, huge deal. David comes to preach. You come as a friend, and we're grateful to have you. So I want to ask you this morning, if you would, please, stand to your feet and give a crazy Lake Hills Church welcome to my friend, my brother, Pastor David Hughes. Wow. I kind of want to hear me now. Wow. It's um, hey, thank you for coming out today. I know the weather's a little weird, a um, little cold. I'm from Florida, and my people, we do weather in Florida. 
In Florida, we know it's, it's a tropical storm, we blow that off. It's a Cat 3 hurricane, we grab our surfboards and run to the beach. But cold, people in Florida don't do cold. In South Florida, I mean, if it, if it blows it blow 60, my people lose their flipping minds and don't come to church at all. So no one will be at church in South Florida on a day like this. In fact, I, you know, we only own two sweaters if you live in Florida. This is one of my two sweaters. If I come back next year, you'll see the other one. Um, but it's good to be with you again because you are... Um, you're Lake Hills Church, and you are a movement of God in this area and in this generation, and it, it is such a delight to be back with you and to be with a church that's great commission-driven and kingdom-building, and my gosh, you are taking turf for our great king, and so it's an honor to be with you because you are remarkable, and if you weren't remarkable, I'd still come hang out with you because I love to hang out with him, <laughs> and I know you might wonder, do, do pastors kind of embellish and overstate because it's good manners to say nice things about people, but the Richards mean so much to me and my bride and our family, and we love you guys dearly. And it's an honor, Mac, to stand here because of your leadership. And you guys are blessed to be loved and led by this couple down here. And so it's a place to put your hands together and go ape crazy right now. Amazing leaders, phenomenal friends. I'm better in every way, Mac, because you're my buddy. And you let me call you on the phone a couple times a week and pick your brain. And you do go fish with me. And uh, Mac serves on the board of our church, and we're better for that. So uh, thank you for letting me be here with you. Hey, find your Bibles. I know you guys love the Word of God. Find your Bibles. Turn on your Bible probably and find Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And speaking about your church and how unique your church is creative. Did y'all really do a series called The Gospel According to Cash? That's phenomenal, man. I love that. What church does a series like that? Then I love you followed up that series with one called Prison Break. Very appropriate because half of Johnny's songs, he's in prison or something. So... Very, very appropriate, but it's about the heart of God. You may not know this, but our God is all up into freedom. Now, you find Genesis chapter 37, but I want to circle back to a verse that Max shared week number one of this series. It was found in Galatians chapter 5. It reveals the heart of God. And this might surprise you. you. You might think that God is all about, I don't know, commandments and rules and regulations, that God somehow wants to diminish your life. That is not the God of the Bible. God loves to set people free. Look at Galatians 5.1. It's on your giant, cool, impressive HD screen up there. You read the highlighted word and read it loudly, all right? Here we go. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Set us how? Set us where? Set us free. Free. By the way, Church by the Glades, I need to load. It's my church, Mac, we, we do church in South Florida. South Florida is 93% unchurched, meaning this. None of my folks grew up in church. They don't know the unwritten manners of church. That needs to be kind of a chilled vibe. They're rowdy. I one of those fun, multi-generational, multicultural churches. They talk back to me. They respond. They don't even understand rhetorical questions. They answer those. So if y'all would respond a little bit, you'll make me feel at home. Amen? Yeah. Amen? I'm going to read that verse again. Can you have that verse one more time? Tech team, one more time on verse Galatians 5, 1. Amazing statement of the heart of God. It was for freedom that Christ set us. Free. And that is very good news. My God is the great and holy abolitionist. My God loves to emancipate people holistically, fully. God wants to set you free in every way a person can be set free. God wants you to live large. In fact, the Bible describes a life of the believer that is big and beautiful and blessed and is bold. Now, here's the problem. I don't see a lot of people living that way. I see a lot of good people. In fact, sadly, I see a lot of God's people living reductionary lives, limited lives, meager, small, marginalized. That is you. God brought you here. 
This is your day for a divine prison break. This is your day to break free. Turn to your neighbor and say, you might need to break free. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you. Go ahead. Make this interactive right now. Talk, do it. Pick, pick somebody. You might need, in Jesus' name, to do what the Bible describes and break free. And there is a component of the holistic, emancipated life I want to talk about today that applies to everyone in this room. Everyone, that God has something very precious for you. And uh, the inspiration for this topic comes from your pastor. Because we do talk on the phone a lot. We're very good friends. We have a lot in common. Anytime, by the way, Mac drips leadership. His default setting is leadership. He's a wonderful leader. So as I'm trying to navigate and lead our church, I will call him anytime I have a big leadership question. But when I called Mac, I asked him last service, and I didn't set him up for this. I knew he'd say it. I say, Mac, how you doing in Austin, Texas? He always says, David, I'm living the dream. Baby, I'm living the dream. Isn't that good? I'm living the dream. Let's say that together, everybody. Ready? I'm living the dream. Now, a lot of us just lied. We just lied because, you know, I see a lot of people who have big dreams. But just being raw and honest, I don't see a lot of people living big dreams. And uh, if that is you, if your life is reductionary, if you're a little stuck in life, if your life is small, I think God has brought you here. Genesis chapter 37 is the primary passage. And you see, I love dreamers. I love people that do have big dreams like your pastor that live the dream. The world is shaped and changed by people who dare to dream big God-sized dreams. Think with me. If you love America, the uh, founding fathers had dreams of unique freedoms they defined in the Constitution. Bill of Rights and defended on the battlefield. Uh, Dr. King, what a beautiful catalytic dream of equality and opportunity with children we judge not based on the color of their skin, but the content of their what? Character. Content of their what? Character. Beautiful dream. Uh, Steve Jobs. Dreams of technology and, and connectivity. Walt, D you name it, man. Dreamers change the world when they dare to dream and pursue big dreams. And, of course, in the Bible, God traffics in dreams and visions. Dreams and and visions. And by the way, you can use those as, as pseudonyms if you want to. Uh, in Proverbs, it describes, you know, without vision, God's people perish. So God has a, a vision for your life. God has a dream for your life. Rick Warren uh, cherry-picked a verse out of Acts and sold a whole bunch of books on the purpose-driven life. So dream, purpose, vision, call it what you will. God leverages people like this. In the Bible, he gives dreams and visions to patriarchs and prophets in the Old Testament to uh uh, apostles like Peter and Paul in the New Testament believe. By the way, Julie, I'm honored. I'm, I am the Believe pre-show every year, and I love that. Because Believe, by the way, if, if you're a lady here and you're not planning on going to Believe, oh, my gosh, you got to be here. I sneak in the back, in the man section back there every year, and it's always this amazing event. So please come and invite somebody, 82% of people, if they were simply invited. It is a great, safe first touch for someone. So, ladies, do what you do. What was I talking about? Pre-show, dreaming. All right, dream. So, God's this, this big dream for your life. You see, throughout the Bible, God gives dreams, and God still gives dreams today. So, let's talk about the dream. We're in Genesis chapter 37. That's the big idea, kind of a one-point sermon. Okay, don't, don't miss the one point in the one-point sermon. But God has a unique, customized dream for your life. I, I know I don't know you, but I know certain things about you. I know this. My God is crazy in love with you. I mean, he will ruin you with a righteous romance. He is so in love with you. He's, he's crazy in love with you. He, he sent his son to die for you. He made you, and he has a unique, customized dream, a vision for your life. 
He's not a one-size-fits-all kind of God. No, no, no. A unique plan. I don't know what the plan is, but I know he has a divine dream for your life. Just like the holy heroes in the Bible believe, Mary and Joseph, visions and a dream beyond their mundane, ordinary expectations. God has a dream. When I say three, loudly say the word dream. One, two, three. Dream. God has a dream for your life. So in Genesis, uh, there, there's a dreamer. And I know your life is small right now. I know you're, David, I don't have a dream. My life is limited. I, I've, I've been marginalized by my own mistakes. Anybody make a, anybody have like a serious regret in life, made like a bonehead, knucklehead mistake or two? Raise your hand. Anybody, man, you wish you had a time machine, get a do-over on that? Raise your hand. Some of y'all are lying in church. That's a mistake right there. That's a terrible, raise your hand if you have made some stupid mistakes in your life that maybe diminished you in some way, right? Maybe you're held hostage by a habit. Maybe a confined by a compulsion. Maybe imprisoned by your past. God wants you to have a prison break, to break free today, to embrace the fullness of God's dream. If you're here going, David, I, I, don't, I, I really don't, I don't have a dream. I don't have a, okay, thank you for being candid. Why don't you have a dream? Well, it, it may be because you lack imagination. I, I doubt that. But it's probably because life got in the way of your dream. Man, life kind of beat the dream out of you. And if that is you, I'm so glad that God brought you here today. There's going to be this really cool intersection, this collision between God's truth and your reality because God has a dream for your life. If, if somebody's going, okay, that's not me, but I still don't have a dream, uh, here's probably the problem. You're not showing up at Lake Hills Church enough. you got to be here all the time. Amen? That was terrible. you got to be here all the time. Amen? I, I don't mean like legalism, religious rule-keeping, got to be in church all the time. No, no, you just it's an inspiration station here you got flipping Mac Richard as your main communicator. He's one of the most gifted preachers on the planet. And he will, he will take the content of God's word, full of these stories of dreamers. And if you'll be here, let him download that into your life. It will fire you up and fuel God's dream in your life. So if you don't have a divine dream, my guess is you're not here enough. So make it your holy habit to be here every week, if at all possible, and typically it's going to be possible. Or the other thing is maybe you're not spending enough time in the Bible, just a little more time, maybe a little time every single day, 10, 15, 20 minutes every day in the Word of God. And I want to say this, I'm not here, I mean, I'm not the new guy in town, I'm not here to bust on you, but if you're not spending time in the Bible and you're a Christ follower, I don't really think there's any good excuse. I mean, the text, most of the history of the church, Christians didn't have a copy of the text. Dude, we have it on our iPhones. In fact, as dark as it is in here, my guess is most of y'all don't use old school. This is awesome. You probably don't kill trees for Bibles here. That's good. But, you, you know, the smartest thing you can do with a smartphone is put the Bible on your phone, you version, for free, all kinds of different translations. And if you're like me, I'm old enough, I now need reading glasses. Am I preaching to anybody? I never can find them. They got people on the Bible that will read you their Bible. Isn't that awesome? By the way, go on iTunes. You can get famous people. That will read you the Bible. I mean, that's just phenomenal. You have Charlton Heston read you the Bible. Uh, William Shatner. Yeah, Captain Kirk will read you your Bible. How phenomenal is that? But here's the, here's the best one. I found for $10, you can have James Earl Jones read you your Bible. You can have your quiet time with Darth Vader every day. How awesome would that be for Darth Vader to read you your Bible? I'm waiting for the Morgan Freeman Bible. God could read you the Bible. How awesome would that be? 
All right, so if you're in the Bible, what happens is you start to see God working through all these dreamers. God has a divine dream, a customized, unique dream for every person, and that will fire you up, and you'll start to refine and discover God's dream for your life. Because I don't know you, but I know certain things about you. My God has an epic, divine dream, a vision, a purpose for your life. Powerful stuff. So in Genesis 37, let's find our dreamer. Go to verse 5. Here's the first little half of verse 5 on the screen. Ready? Ready. Right now. Boom. Here's what it says. It says the dreamer's name is Joseph. Joseph had a dream. Just like Dr. King and founding fathers, Joseph is a young man. He's 17. He's the recipient of a divine dream. A dream. So so, so let me me draw Joseph here. You can see I'm an incredible artist. Bam. I got Joseph. All right. There's Joe. There's Joe, and, uh, and God has this dream for him, right? And, and so it's a biblical dream. has this dream, dream of exaltation, influence, uh, appropriate use of power. It's going to be a great, great it's a dream. But you can read the details. Read all of chapter 37. You'll see the dream. So God has this divine dream, but he has this for modern-day people, too. You need an example? Um, Mac and Julie Richard came uh, 17 years ago to Austin from Dallas. Mac had a great ministry. He was a part of a giant, growing church, very comfortable circumstance. Came down here with two tiny punk kids. Joseph was one, and Emily was three, and already in charge of the world, is my guest, knowing Emily. Awesome kids. That is craziness to come. And by the way, they didn't know anybody, and Mac went to school here. But they came to Austin, and when you have a dream to plant a church that becomes this, that becomes this turf-taking church. When you come down with just your tiny kids, the Holy Spirit and nothing, and you plant a church, that is remarkable. I meet some people, some, some ministers who plant churches, and they, they say, God, I know you love, for God so love the whole world, I'll go anywhere, but I like to stay in my own zip code where it's kind of safe and comfortable. But to come here, that is a crazy, beautiful God dream. And you are also living the dream that God laid in Mac and Julie's hearts. Amen? So... Amen? Amen. That's exciting. Look at your church. Look at your church. All right, so, so Joseph had a dream, Genesis 37, verse 5. Now, why is it more people don't live the dream? A lot of us have these dreams, these visions. Uh, stuff gets in the way. I mean, uh, Prison Break, uh, anybody like a Prison Break movie? Anybody ever seen like, like, I like old school, one called The Great Escape. Anybody know? Put your hands together if you know that movie. Anybody know The Great Escape? All right, a few, few old people like me, Steve McQueen, James Garner, POWs, Nazi bad guys, uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption. All right, what makes that so good? The difficulty, the challenges, the adversaries. You see, to break free, you know, the dream was freedom. You got to get on your Andy Dufresne and push through the problematic. All right, so, so the dream, not everybody, that's a terrible Joseph, by the way. Not, not, not everybody enjoys the fullness of God's dream. Why is that? Why is that? Well, you got to push through the problematic. There's all kinds of individuals and issues that want to, want to diminish your dream and, and imprison your potential. So how, how do you push through that? Well, if you take notes, let me give you some things you got to fight through that Joseph fights through before he enjoys the fullness of God's dream. I, I wrote down, number one, uh, negative people. Negative people. Negative people will come up against what God wants to do in your life. Now, to see if this resonates, Lake Hills, anybody here got a, a critical negative person in life? Anybody? Anybody have a one? Just one person. I mean, occasionally, but chronically, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've got a critical negative person. Man, raise your hand, raise your hand. Some, raise your hand. Okay, good, good. A lot of people. Anybody, do you bring your mean critical person to church? Anybody? Anybody? Don't, don't, don't say, yeah, um, it's good. Bring them here, man. Bring mean people to church. They need church. Um, 
Negative people, negative people. All right, why is that? Well, this dream I'm describing is, is powerful, it is pervasive, it is catalytic, it will power you past the problems of your life. Uh, it, is, it is divisive, too. It's divisive. Say the word divisive when I say three. One, two, three. Divisive. See, this dream of God is magnetic and divisive, and it will draw people. When this dream becomes to be realized in your life, it's going to draw two kinds of people. Number one, it will draw helpers, helpers. When I say three, say the word loudly, helpers. One, two, three. Helpers, meaning this. I don't know this about you, all the details of the dream, but I know it's going to be big because God's specialty is big. I know God is good with details. God's magnificent with minutia. But God's true specialty is big. God speaks, and the universe comes into existence. That is big. And God's dream for your life, it will not be small. It will be big. It will be big. It will be God-sized. In fact, I know you're smart. I know you're educated. I know you're resolved. But God's dream for your life is so big, you cannot pull it off on your own. It will require helpers, an entourage of encouragement to come along beside you, to champion you, to support you, to fulfill God's dream. It's going to take other people in your life. Let's be biblical together. Uh, The Apostle Paul. Did the Apostle Paul make a difference in the world? Did the Apostle Paul make a difference in the world? That's not a trick question. Yeah, I mean, impact player. He, so highly intelligent, gifted, resolved, traveled with an entourage. Bible just describes all these people he hung out with, he journeyed with, he preached with. He did. It, it, Paul had Silas and Barnabas and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla and uh, David. David, King David, had a long season of his life where he was marginalized, lived in a cave, but all the time he had a small entourage, Jonathan, a friend that loved him as much as he loved himself. Even Jesus journeyed with the twelve. So you're going to need some helpers. You're going to need an entourage of encouragement. Well, David, where do I find these kind of people? Lake Hills Church. I mean, I love you're in this setting right now. Thank you for coming out today. But when you go to the smaller environments, when you volunteer, when you, when you serve, you're going to meet people. You'll have rapport with somebody, connectivity with somebody. You're gonna, God's going to raise up your mighty men. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens you. You'll find the helpers, and these helpers will champion your dream because the dream is magnetic. At the same time, it will draw helpers. As this dream comes to life in your life, also it's going to draw, this is not so happy here, but it's going to draw the the haters, the haters. When I say three, say the word haters. One, two, three. Haters. And uh, as this dream begins to materialize, become evident in small ways, some people will come up and, and hate on you and be critical and come against you and mess with you. Uh, sometimes it's your own family. In fact, as you read chapter 37 for homework, you'll find out that Joseph came from a weird, dysfunctional family. Now, let's stop right there because somebody here, you have a weird family. Your family's weird, dysfunctional. That's your excuse you self-excuse, I can't live a dream, live a big, bold, beautiful life because my family's so weird. My family of origin or my present family, very weird, very strange. Let's just stop right now. Anybody here live in a fully functional family? We all have something weird in our family, amen? If you have family right now, turn to them and say, I love you, but you're kind of weird sometimes. Turn to your family and say, I love you, but you're a little weird. I think he's talking about you right now. All right, Joseph... Joseph's family was a weird family. His dad was named Jacob. Jacob was married to two women at the same time. I typically don't recommend that, guys. That's a bad plan. That is dysfunctional. On top of that, the Bible says he had two concubines. Two concubines. What's that? Baby mamas? So two wives, two baby mamas, 12 sons, all kinds of baby mama drama. 
all these kind of like half-brothers, siblings, rivalry, jealousy. Oh my gosh, what dysfunction. And before we escape chapter 37, verse 5, look at the rest of verse 5 right now. Someone starts to hate on Joseph, literally, and shocking is his own family on the screen right now, the rest of the verse. And it says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they his own family, hating on what God wants to do in his life. Now, why do they hate? Why do they hate? By the way, Joseph doesn't make many mistakes in this narrative. He's not a perfect person. Only Christ is perfect, but, but he makes a few mistakes, small ones. This one, he's not very discerning here. When, when God begins to share with you the nature of his plan for your life, be discerning as to whom you share that with. Fleshly people cannot appreciate spiritual things, and they will come up against you. And so he's not very discerning, not very discriminating as he shares his God dream with the wrong people. They hate on him. They hate on him. Now, what? why do haters feel that need to hate? Why do haters? All right, if we have time, I'll cover why I believe people hate on things like this. They shouldn't. They should be positive, encouraging, but they, they hate. In fact, we can't leave the rest of the chapter, chapter 37, until they do something very evil, very bad. Uh, go down and look at this. What I want to call this is, uh, well, let me call this pit problems. If you're a note taker, before we escape chapter 37, we're going to see some pit problems very real problematic issues in the life of Joseph the dreamer. So verse 23. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers. His father sent them to check on his brothers. Couldn't get them on text message, so go check on your brothers. He obeys his father. They stripped Joseph of his tunic, a varied colored tunic. Sometimes it's called a coat of many colors. It was on him. Get ready to read this one word, verse 24. They took him and threw him into the... Now, if you're new to this narrative, you're like, oh, a pit. That's an amazing literary device. Great metaphor for No, no, no. They threw the boy in a pit. A pit, a dry well, a cistern. They wanted to murder him, but mean and opportunistic, some human traffickers came by, and they sold their own flesh and blood as a slave. But they threw their dreamer, their own brother, dysfunctional, weird family, jealous family, in a pit. Maybe right now that kind of defines your life. Your life is limited. Your life is small. You're trying like Joseph, no fault of his own. You're obeying your father, and you're going through a time of difficulty. Life is squeezing you, man. You're in the pit. You're in the pit. The holiest heroes, man, the pit. And by the way, man, pits are tough. That's why the story of Joseph's life is not like four verses long. There's some thin theologies out there that go this way. If you love Jesus, if you love Jesus and you, you come to church and, and give your offering and pray enough and read your Bible enough, you will never have problems. God puts you in an insulated, protective bubble. Uh, you'll be healthy, wealthy, good-looking. Your kids will make straight A's, be on honor roll, and never have pimples. I just can't find that in the Bible. I find pits. I find mean people, I find pit problems, even to good, godly people. He's trying to get to the dream, got to get to the dream, but it has a pit problem right there between him and God's best. His reality and the dream. Pit, pit problems. Guess what? Sometimes in life, pit happens. I'm just being scriptural right there. Pit happens. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, guess what? Biblically speaking, pit happens. Go, go. Tell your neighbor, pit happens, pit happens. Oh, you're in the pit. You're marginalized. And Joseph stays in the pit 13 years. Well, actually, not in the pit. That'd be really tough. But he goes from the pit to slavery to prison. There are not many demotions from slavery. But the boy finds one, a dungeon in Egypt. And by the way, ages 17 to age 30, these are precious years in the life of any young person. 
These are stolen away from him. No fault of his own. Man, a prison. Literally, is a prison break story. And it's God's dreamer. And it seems like the dream is no more. Surely in life, pit happens. So what's next? I, I just wrote down this. I wrote down fear of failure. Fear of failure. And this really isn't, the te- isn't in the text, but it's clearly in the subtext. Don't overly spiritualize this young man. I, I know you've seen an artist rendering of these Bible heroes. And they're all wearing like a bathrobe and flip-flops and have like a precious moments look on their face and look all serene, have halos. No, it's it's a a teenager, a 20-something. He's 25, 26. He's there in the darkness of a dungeon one night. And no doubt there's a voice. It's his voice saying, hey, what happened to your big dreams? What about exaltation? What about your, your brother's stalks bowing down to you? What, what about the sun? Yeah, where's your big dream now? Failure. I think success in life is not so much about striving for success as fighting through failure. How do you deal with the perception or reality of failure? I mean, winners fail. Amen? All right, let me prove my point because that wasn't a very strong response. Um, Sports fans, sports fans, uh, Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant, one of the best guys in the NBA over the last 10 years, easily. Kobe Bryant, one fan, Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant set an NBA all-time career record this week. You might know what it is? Most missed shots. Most missed shots. When he's interviewed, he said, guess what? I'm a shooting guard. I've played a long time. I've had a great career. How many young rookies would not trade everything to have Kobe Bryant's career, whether you're a Kobe fan like the one person or not? A remarkable player, but he's missed the most shots. No one holds the record in Major League Baseball for the most strikeouts. Rezzy Jackson. No, not, not a pitcher, not a pitcher. Rezzy Jackson. Mr. October. MVPs in the World Series, different teams. Record for stri- record for interceptions, NFL. Brett Favre. Some of the greatest winners face failure all the time. So why does God let this happen? Why does God let this young man, innocent young man, languish? You know, God has a dream, but here he's in the pit and in the prison. For 13 years, what is God doing during that time? Easily, I think, though, God does not cause the haters to hate. God did not throw him in the prison. But God's so great, God can use the haters, and he can use the prison. All things work together for good, for those that love God called according to his purpose. And what he's doing, in my mind, he's refining this young man. Again, the story starts, he's a punk teenager who's pampered and spoiled. God cannot use him to accomplish a dream. He must refine him, and so he refines him in amazing ways. I love what God does in the life of this young man. He, he refines in prison. Read the narrative if you want to. His skill set. He refines, he refines his leadership. He refines the dream. Can I just say this? Um, if you think this is a talk about a, how God wants to make your dream come true, you've missed my point. I've tried to modify and qualify every time I mention the dream. It is God's dream, not my dream. It is God's divine dream, not your dream. I can't find anywhere in the text where God ever promises to make your dream come true. Now, somebody's bumming right now. Don't bum. Because God's dream for you is better and bigger than your dream for you. I mean, God has applied his cosmic genius. He knows all information there is to know, past, present, and future, to scripting out a supernatural game plan for your life. I mean, let me prove my point. As a 17-year-old typical teenager in his context, in his era, in his region, what do you think Joseph's biggest dream was? Don't answer, because I, I know what it was. It's nowhere in the text, but surely we can know. I know what his dreams were. As a young man, before he got God's dream, here, here's what his dream was all about. I'm not much of an artist, but I think I can do this here. 
as a sheep. He had dreamt about sheep. Now, how do I know? Does the Bible say that he dreamt about sheep? No, but he grew up the son of a herdsman. And his father's father was a herdsman. And his father's father's father was a herdsman. They were very isolated. They were nomadic people. No cities around close. That's all they knew was the life of a shepherd. So here was his dream as he laid in bed at night. I hope someday I'm a more successful shepherd than my father. If my dad has 1,000 sheep, I dream I'd have 2,000 sheep. If my dad has 500 goats, I pray I have 5,000 goats. I, I dream someday we'll diversify, break into the camel business. I, that's all he knew to dream were mundane, pedantic, ordinary dreams. And God's dream for your life is extraordinary. It's powerful. It's divine in scope and scale. And all he knew was this little tiny punk dream. What, what, what else do you dream about? Uh, leadership. Leadership. Family leadership. Someday maybe I'll have influence and leadership in my weird dysfunctional family. That was a very big deal back in Genesis. You recall all kinds of jockeying, competition for birthrights and blessings, Bible scholars, right? Who'd get the, because that meant who was the leader, who had the prestige, inheritance rights. And, but problem was that typically went to the firstborn. And our boy Joe, the dreamer, he's the 11th out of 12 boys. It's not looking good for him. I know he's like daddy's favorite because his dad did favor him, gave him that coat and everything. But, you know, that's, that's a long way to climb in the poles, isn't it? You're number 11. You're not making it to number one. Maybe he's thinking, okay, if I really work hard, my dad likes me, maybe I'll become number eight or number seven or number, or maybe someday if I work really hard, I can dream of being number two. That's a terrible dream. What sports fan cheers? We're number two. We're number two. Maybe I could be number two because I'm not the firstborn. I could be number two. God's dreams were refined in the prison. God's dreams were so much bigger than Joseph's dreams. God says, guess what? You're dreaming of shepherding sheep. I have made you to rule nations. When I exalt you, I know, I know the pit is problematic. The pit is reductionary by nature. You're not enjoying your time in the pit. It seems like you're meeting the wrong people in the wrong place, but actually read your Bible. It means the right people. The pit was the right place. So at the right time, God would exalt him. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Spoiler alert, but read your Bible. Prime minister of Egypt. God uses him to resource and save a portion of the world from famine. He became number two, not his weird family, but number two, prime minister, second only to Pharaoh. And he was such an effective number two that number one Pharaoh retires to Sarasota, spent his days collecting seashells because Joseph was so talented. And if you hit Joseph up in his chariot on his cell phone, said, Joseph, what are you doing today? As he's prime minister, number two man, all these people, he would say, guess what? You know what I'm doing? I'm living the dream. God's the same yesterday and forever. He has a dream with your name on it. David, I got these haters in my life. I have these haters, these haters hating on me. I got these haters. What did I do with these haters? These haters. All right, all right. Can I circle around? I'm, I'm on a red number. I'm going to circle around real quick. It might help you with your haters. Because the only way not to have criticism and haters is don't do anything. Especially for God. Don't dream about uh, completing your education. I know you're working two jobs and you're a single parent. It's wearing you out and you're only halfway done with you. Don't, don't dream about that. Don't, don't dream about you. You are hostage to a habit, your addiction, and you're dreaming about being free and clean and so. Don't, don't dream about that. Don't, you want to actually make a kingdom difference. You're an entrepreneur. You want to make a bunch of money, fun. What's don't dream about that. Do nothing because if you do nothing, no one will criticize you. But if you try to do anything at all worthy, someone's going to come out and hate on you. 
dreams are magnetic and dreams are divisive. They just can't help themselves. So when you get a hater, and back when our church, Mac, was small and weird, we were a weird, dysfunctional family. We didn't get a lot of noise from outside our church. No one, when we started to grow and the profile was raised, all of a sudden people started hating on me. I'm just trying to be a good pastor. I'm doing my best to teach the Bible. I'm, I'm kind of a nice guy. They'll tell you, I'm the nice guy. And people are hating on, what do you do with haters? Here's what I do quickly. If someone criticizes you and hates on you and you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to live God's dream, uh, number one, I listen to them. I'll listen. I won't be open for correction in my life, but I've found this. If it's someone hating from a distance or someone to bear and they're just mean, I have found most times there's nothing accurate. So you, you got to listen. But at the same time, guard the dream. Guard, because again, the enemy has the habit. He will bring up people against you. He doesn't want to see this dream become your reality. He will bring up critical people and they will hate on you. So listen, listen because God can speak through anybody. God can speak. In the Old Testament, he spoke through a jackass. He still does the same today occasionally. So be, be open, but guard the dream. Guard and protect the dream. The people try to shoot you down and say, you're not smart enough. You're not resourced enough. You don't have sufficient, you guard the dream. Well, David, are you saying you don't receive correction? Yes, I do. I receive correction for these people, people who love me, people who know more than me, and people who believe in me and my God. That's why Mac is on my board. Mac can tell me anything. I'll receive his rebuke. You need people like that in your life. That's accountability. Then second thing I do, if someone hates on me, someone criticizes me, someone, ah, don't be distracted. Don't you be distracted. You just keep working. You just keep your head down because in our flesh, we want to be defensive, don't we? We want to stand up and respond and debate. All that stuff de-energizes you. It takes your focus off God's plan for your life. By the way, in this age, where now people criticize you online. I love Twitter and Instagram and Facebook is cool and all those things. Bloggers, man, Julie blogs, man. You want to find out how to be a good parent, man. Read everything Julie blogs. Bloggers, so many positive things online, but... Anybody notice there's some mean people online? Ever notice that? Like three of us. Ever notice that? Man, there's some mean people, and they will criticize you at a distance. And by the way, most of these people I've found, they criticize you. You're trying to do something. They're not doing jack. They just feel like it's God's call to you know, hate on you while you're trying to do and, and you don't do it right all the time, but they're just ripping on you. I don't know why they feel the need to do that. In fact, our church has gotten larger. Man, i got people online calling me out public letters criticizing my theology my you know i don't know why they do that actually i do you know, you know those bloggers by the way that kind of blogger b-l-o-g basement living opinion giving negative people um they do it because they want you to go oh, thank you thank you for the mean thing you said about me the mean thing thank you you are so smart you are so wise i love you that's what they want but if they can't have that they're almost as happy with i hate you you made me mad. Let me debate with you, defend myself, get all distracted by you. You know what they can't deal with? Ignore them. Ignore. I don't know why they hate. I don't know why. I, 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 I guess they're insecure. They're insecure, right? Why did Joseph's brothers hate him? Well, they saw that he was dad's favorite. Dad gave him the coat. The coat of many colors was the indicator of the father's favor on Joseph. 
Now, human fathers, we should never play favorites, but the heavenly father plays favorites. And guess what? You are his favorite. Jesus died for you, so you are his favorite. And if you'll walk in obedience to God's dream in your life, there'll be indication of God's favor to cover you like a coat. And insecure people around you, when they see you walking in God's blessing and God's favor, they won't be able to handle that. They're insecure, and they might criticize you, hate on you. Guess what? In Jesus' name, go about your business. Keep doing your work because God has called you to great things. I don't know why they want to hate. Mommy, maybe the mamas didn't hug them enough when they were babies. Maybe wrap their diapers too tight. They were not affirmed. But don't let the haters have the final word in your life. Let God speak his final word over you. And my God has great plans for your life. But David, what if the person leaves? What if it's not a faraway person, somebody in my life? What if they, they bail on me? In Jesus' name, release them. Don't let them hold your heart hostage. Release them. Release them. But I need them. I can't. By definition, if you needed that person to arrive at God's destination of his great dream for your life, it'd be impossible for them to leave you. But because they left you, they're not a forever person. They were merely a seasonal person. Now don't kick them in the butt as they leave, but release them with a tear in your eye. If they repent, you restore it. But if they don't, go on about your business. My God has a dream for your life. My God has a great and epic dream for your life. It is grand in God's size in its scope and scale. What's that dream all about? It's about freedom. If this life has reduced you, if this life has victimized you, if you're living a life that is small, my God wants to set you free. Jesus said, when the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And Jesus didn't lie, and Jesus didn't stutter, and Jesus didn't stammer. He meant it. He's the great abolitionist. He's the holy emancipator, and he wants to set you free. Well, David, how will he set me free? Every way you can be set free. He will free you relationally. He will free you spiritually. He will free you eternally. He will free you potentially. He will free you habitually. He will free you financially, because my God's all up into freedom. You put your hands together right there. That's the good news of our gospel. And there's somebody here going... because I, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Great question. I think, I, think you, uh, I think you give your heart to Christ today. I think, you, I think you make that move today. I think you pray a prayer of salvation today. I, I, I can't do it because Mac's not preaching. Mac's awesome. He can't save you. I know it's just me. Some weird guy from Florida with two sweaters, but I, I pray <laughs> this would be your day because it's not about me. It's not about your pastor. It's about you and Jesus. And if you're here and don't know for certain and sure, You've given yourself by faith to Christ. Let's do this thing right now. We will not embarrass you in any way. This is a moment between you and God. But if you're here and not certain and sure that you are saved, if you'll pray a prayer, a Romans 10, 9 prayer with me. Because in verse 13, the scripture says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you'll pray a prayer with me and you'll mean it, God will save you. Meaning this, he'll qualify you for heaven. He'll forgive your sins. My God will accept you as his son or his daughter, fill you with his Holy Spirit, empower you for living, and set you free. Your journey to the dream begins today. It is literally time for someone's divine prison break. Who wants to live the dream? Who wants to live the dream? Baby, I'm living the dream. Pray this prayer and your dream begins. I want everyone to bow their head, please. Everyone to close their eyes. If you've never said yes by faith to Christ with confidence, it's time to do that. Just take my words and make this your prayer to God. The words don't matter so much. You don't need to pray out loud because God's a genius. He can read your mind. 
pray something like this if you want to give your heart to Christ right now. Say, um, okay, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, Lord, you know I didn't come here today planning on making this decision. I, I thought maybe I was close. But I recognize this is my day. And the Bible says, now is the time. And today is the day of salvation. So I'm saying yes. I, I say yes to everything I understand about you. And I give you everything I understand about me. So I say yes to forgiveness. I say yes to salvation. I'm saying yes to heaven. And I'm surely saying yes to this dream. I'm tired of living a small life, marginalized, victimized, excusing myself, because God, you have something so big in store for me. I want nothing less than your dream. And I receive Jesus. So I'm now a recipient of a divine dream. For I make this prayer in Jesus' name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed. We bow our heads because we're on holy ground. Because this is a sacred moment as God moves in people's lives in a way that changes the here and now. And at the same time, it touches eternity. And so it's a moment that we need to make sure we honor, that we mark. Especially if that was your prayer today. If you stepped into that relationship with Christ, you prayed that yes God prayer for the first time and you meant it with everything that you have, this is the greatest moment of your life. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed in this sacred moment, I want to make sure that you mark this moment, that you understand this is real, that it happened, that God did that through David, through the obstacles you cleared to get here today, through the obstacles of your life, God reached out and touched you. And in his grace, you responded once and for all. It's the greatest moment of your life. And so if that's your moment with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, I want to ask you to mark this moment by just raising your hand. Just raise your hand and hold it up high as you mark it for yourself. Because there will come another moment where you will wonder, was that real? Did, did that really happen? And by raising your hand, you are indelibly stamping this moment in your heart and your mind and going, yeah, that was real. That happened. God showed up and I responded. And as you mark this moment, it's important that you know we want to be a family of faith to you for you and with you. We're a safe place. And so you need to know that this moment in your life, for us as a church, there's nothing more important. Nothing. It's why we exist. For this moment and then what God will do from this moment forward in your life and in ours together. And so we have another family tradition around here. As you put your hands down from that moment, we put our hands together and tell you, welcome home.